Good morning, GFCC. How's everyone this morning? Right? We're enjoying the weather right now because it's going to get hot again today from what I've heard. Okay, so uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to come back here and be able to speak on a Sunday morning. Yesterday was my first Saturday evening for the service here, which was great um, to, to see that the church is expanding and growing. It's, a, it's a, an amazing testimony about the leadership here and the, the anointing that's here. and The, the fact that um, we are just reaching people with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you don't know me, like, like they've mentioned a couple times, my name is Gene Calderon, and I'm, the, I'm one of the missionaries for uh, GFCC here, and my ministry field, or my missionary field, is Purdue University Northwest. Uh, I, I, I represent Ratio Christi, which is an apologetics organization. What we do is we try to uh, help students understand why we believe what we believe, using science, history, philosophy, theology, and not only at the university, but we're also reaching out to high schools, uh, church groups, student settings, anything at all where we can just help answer some of the questions that the students may have. And also what we're looking for is and maybe some adults, maybe some mentors who are passionate about apologetics, who are passionate about answering questions for our students. And so we're looking to give opportunities for those of us who may not have found that outlet. Where do I go to be able to help students understand why we believe what we believe when it comes to the Christian uh, worldview, faith, religion, whatever you want to call it. And that's what we're doing. So if you're interested in that, this is my quick spiel. I do have a couple cards on the table there. You can look that up on the corner there uh, and just or see me afterwards. I'd be happy to share more. Uh, but today, uh, Pastor Sean did contact me last week about the fact that he wouldn't be here this week. And he told me he was going through the sermon series of um, Psalm 23, which is a very, very familiar passage. I think most of us have probably heard it at least once or twice. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, makes me down, lay down in green pastures and, and things of that sort. And so he asked me if I could continue in there. And I said, yeah, sure. And he was going to be on verse 3 this week. And so I kind of read that verse, and, you know, very familiar with it, and it, it kind of, it, I, I was kind of stumbling over it. It's like, okay, what do I want to say? There's so much here, so many different directions, but I think I found something, and I want to kind of give a little bit of the background about what it is that we're going to be reading about. Of course, we know it's written by David, and David at that time was going through a lot of turmoil through his family. In fact, one of his sons named Absalom had really turned against his father wanted to take the kingdom away from him, wanted to take the people away from him, and in fact, wanted his father dead. Now, we know David was a warrior, a singer, a, a, a poet, uh, just a very emotional type of guy. You ever meet one of those tough guys that are really emotional at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> You're probably that guy. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, it, it's kind of weird. You get, a, you get around some, some of these big tough guys and they, they, they cry so easily. You ever been around those guys? Yeah, I have. But uh, <laughs> it, it's kind of weird, but that's, that's where we see David. He's a very emotional guy, very passionate guy. And one of the things that he did was he was able to get his emotions out on paper and write them in his psalms. Now, again, he had everything going against him, and his, his own son is trying to, kingdom, uh, trying to kill him, and his son had actually got David to be seen as the outcast. Like I said, he's, he's taken the throne from him. He's taken the people from him, and all that David loved, all the things that David understand that this is who he was, was being taken from him, and he must have felt very much alone because it got to the point where he had to leave and live in the wilderness, now, the wilderness for us is not like what we probably might think the jungle, you know, where there's lots of leaves, there's lots of animals, there's lots of water. No, the, the wilderness in the Middle Eastern times and in, 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 the, in the land of Israel is a very dry, desolate place. And that's where David had to be. 
And so when we read this psalm, understanding what David is going through, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, he's going to make me lie down in green pastures. There's no green pastures around him, or pastures around him. Green pastures, that sounded funny. <laughs> but uh, green pastures around him. Um, there's none of that. So he's really trying to picture something. And I think when we look at it again from the first, for the first time, it could really open up some ideas when we just look at it and just read it plainly. It reminds me of a joke I'd like to share with you. Um, everybody familiar with Sherlock Holmes and his assistant Watson? And they wanted to go camping one day, and so they did that. They went out camping, and they um, enjoyed a dinner, and they drank some wine, and they decided, okay, well, it's time for bed. Let's go ahead and take a nap. And then in the middle of the night, um, Sherlock Holmes wakes up, and he says, Hey, Watson, I want you to look up at the sky and, and tell me what you see. Watson says, Well, I see millions of stars. And Holmes asked him, well, and what does that tell you? And so Watson, he thought about it for a minute. He says, well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets out there. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we're small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we're going to have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Holmes? Sherlock Holmes looks at him, pauses for a moment, and says, Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> and so, I think a lot of times when we look at Scripture, we look so deep into it that we're, just, we're, we're missing the plain obvious thing that, that, you know, this is what we're trying to see in Scripture. And so uh, I hope that helps us be able to go back and read the Scriptures just a little bit because that's where I'd like to pick up when we start reading the Scriptures and start to realize, hey, the Scriptures are plain and written to us as a plain, ordinary type people. What, is it, what, can, it, what can we read from this? Now the problem is we're only focusing on one verse today, Psalm 23, verse 3. Um, I, have a, I have a little um, rule that I, leave, that I live by. I never read a Bible verse. What, am I, what do I mean by that? Don't just read one. In fact, I would rather have you read the entire chapter, the entire book, the entire Bible <laughs> uh, to be able to understand just one verse. But we're going to try that anyway. So uh, starting at verse 3 in Psalms 23, we read this passion, or we read this passion in where he says, he restores my soul. Remember where David is at. Everything has been taken from him to the point where he feels like I have nothing left. And he's calling out to uh, this Psalm 23 is known as the, the Psalm of the Good Shepherd. He's asking the Good Shepherd, restore my soul. He, he, that's what he does. And when we understand that, we know that God is the creator of life and that God uh, is the, the creator of our souls. And therefore, if I need restoration, I go to the creator, the person who uh, can do just that. And it's the Good Shepherd. Now, of course, we're living in New Testament times and, and beyond, and we understand that Jesus himself referred to himself as the good shepherd. He says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. We're the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd. Now, I like to ask this question, was Jesus ever a shepherd? Did he ever shepherd any sheep? No. He was what we call a tecton, someone who builds things with his hands. Most, time, most commonly we, call, we translate that as carpenter. But he was a person, he worked with his hands. And one of the times where Jesus was walking down the path, walking towards Jericho, where he's about to be crucified, he meets someone particularly special. 
If you don't know too much about Jericho, it was a very wealthy city. A lot of the rich priests lived there, and it was also the tax capital of that area. So there was a lot of tax collectors there. In fact, there was one tax collector who was known as the chief of the tax collectors, a wee little man named Zacchaeus, okay? We've probably heard that song many, many times. And um, he's, um, he goes there, he wants to see Jesus, but he can't mingle with the crowd. And so he climbs up a sycamore fig tree in order to see Jesus. Now, what do we usually hear about tax collectors? They're evil, they're wicked, they're cheating. But here we find a tax collector who so passionately wants to see Jesus, and it's not just for a show, he genuinely wants to know, is this the Messiah? And so when we read about this tax collector, we have to kind of, again, figure out a little bit of the cultural context. Because I think the tax collector was very much treated, felt like were David, because he had a lot of things taken away from him. See, tax collectors at that time were working for the priests. The priests at that time, they were not allowed to have anything that possessed an idol. And a lot of times the coins, the Roman coins that they possessed, if you remember Jesus talking about whose image is on this coin, and they say, Caesar. Well, Caesar thought himself to be a god. And so the priest cannot touch anything or possess anything that has the image of an idol. And so therefore, I need somebody to collect my money, count my money, and to use the money the way I want it to be used. We're going to get a group of people who need a job, a good job. It's going to be a good-paying job. And they're going to handle the money, count the money, and use it the way we need it. And they're going to do all of the dirty work so that I can still worship and I can still lead at the temple, but they themselves, they're not going to be, because they're going to defile themselves while they do this, and we're going to call them the sinners. Are we all sinners? Yeah, we are. Are we saved by grace? Absolutely. Believe, uh, trust, uh, uh, confess with your mouths and trust with your heart that Jesus is Lord. You're saved. But we still happen to sin. And we repent and confess, come back. But when we call a group of people sinners, now we've in a sense outcast them and that's exactly what happened to Zacchaeus Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus he wants to know who Jesus is and he comes in and he realizes he can't do any of this because of his job he's touching defiled money and therefore uh, if you take on this job you want you might want to talk to your family about it because now you can't touch anybody because they will be defiled too you can't really go to temple and worship anybody or worship with anybody because you're, de you're considered defiled you're really going to become an outcast Another example would be morticians, people who take care of the dead. They're touching dead bodies all day. They can't gather with other people. And so Zacchaeus finds himself in this, in this circumstance where he can't really do anything, but Jesus is coming by. And so he's probably a rich, influential person, but he can't mingle with the crowd. He can't touch anybody. And, so the, and, he's, and he's short. <laughs> so he decides, I know a way that I can see Jesus, not touch anybody, and still you know, be able to... Uh, figure out who this guy is so he climbs a tree and Jesus walks up to him and says Zacchaeus you come down for tonight I am going to have dinner with you and all of a sudden everyone starts complaining you read this in Luke chapter 19 it says when Jesus uh, reached the spot he looked up and said to Zacchaeus come down immediately I must stay at your house today so Zacchaeus came down at once and he welcomed him gladly and all the people saw this and they began to mutter He's going to be the guest of a sinner? So he's, he, he's, he's up there, and Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, look, after he's having dinner, he's so happy to have Jesus there. Now he's feeling like, wow, he actually came to me, and I could actually spend, I couldn't do this with him because everyone pushed me out. 
They got rid of me. And Zacchaeus stood up in front of everybody and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Just because he's so overjoyed, everything I got, I'm going to cut it in half and I'm going to give this half to the poor. Then he goes on to say this. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. I hear the story of Zacchaeus many, many times. And this is where I get a little controversial about this story, which is okay because I won't be here next week. <laughs> we think about Zacchaeus. I, I, I typically told or heard or maybe even have been taught, and maybe it, you've heard it taught too, or maybe you've actually taught it, that Zacchaeus was a lying, cheating thief. I don't think we see that in the scriptures. I think we categorize all of the tax collectors as being the sinners because that's what they were called by the, by the community at that time. And at the same way, time, we always call all of the Pharisees haters against Jesus, where some Pharisees actually followed Jesus, like Nicodemus, like Joseph of Arimathea, like Paul. They were Pharisees. They loved Jesus. And so I think we need to be a little bit more careful. So when we come to Zacchaeus, he says, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. Okay, now I've got half left. And then he says, and if I've cheated anybody, he doesn't say, and all those people I've cheated. He doesn't say, and I know I've cheated a lot of this whole community, so I'm giving back four times the amount. He can't do that. He's just giving away half. He says, if. And so I take that to mean, I don't know that I have cheated anybody. I needed a job. I took a job because I needed to feed my family. And yeah, they call me a sinner, and I, I, couldn't be, I haven't been able to worship, but I love God. And I'm trying to do the best I can with the job that I have. And if I've treated anybody unfairly or if I've cheated anybody, let me know and I will pay that person back four times the amount. So it seems to me that he's an honest man, an honest man that's known as a sitter, sinner. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too doesn't mention his sin. He says this man too is a son of Abraham. Doesn't say anything about his son. Just says he's part of the group. The, 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 the very people, or the leaders of this group who've pushed him out and pushed him out and pushed him out. He says, this man too is part of this group. I am restoring this man. I am bringing back to him restoration. Because uh, he says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I know you've been pushed out. I know because you live a certain way or have a certain job or you, maybe, maybe you talk a certain way, you act a certain way. Maybe it's a personality thing and people kind of push you away, push you away, push you away. And we look, God, I don't know where to go. God, I need restoration. Where do I, how can I feel that I'm part of this group that loves you? As an apologist, as someone who likes to study the scriptures, and they, I, I get pretty lonely sometimes. It's hard to find someone I can sit down with and talk about the things that I'm passionate about. I'm like, God, where are you? I need restoration. And I find some good people. And it restores my soul. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for answering that prayer. And Zacchaeus is like, I just want to be around some people who love God that I, the way I love God and I can fellowship with, but I've been pushed out. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham, and he's come to seek and to save the lost. Psalm 23 is about the good shepherd. Why did I bring all this up about Zacchaeus? Well, because when we read that phrase, to seek and to save the lost, if that doesn't immediately take you back to a passage in the Hebrew Scriptures, which we call the Old Testament, then we've missed it. Because who in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, is the one that is going to come and seek and save the lost? We find this in the book of Ezekiel. 
I love Jesus. He does what we call remez. He will give you one line and he expects you to know the rest. When he says, I've come to seek and save the lost, boom, you should know what I'm talking about. It's kind of like if somebody says one line of a song and you can sing the whole rest of the song after that and you get the whole context of the song and the music, right? It's my party. Yeah, see, you guys know it. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, hey, if I want to cry at my party, then that's what I, mean. I don't even have to explain the song. But you got it, right? That's what Jesus just did. Came to seek and save the lost. Oh, Ezekiel. What does Ezekiel say? He says, as shepherds look after the scattered flocks, Ezekiel 34, I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 34. As a shepherd looks after his flock, when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places that they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will search for the lost and I will bring, them, bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong, those who are better off than others, those who are strong enough to be able to push others out, I will shepherd the flock with justice. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink the clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled on and the drink that you've muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean because you have shoved and flanked and shouldered, butting all of the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. But I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered and I will judge between one sheep and another. So when we understand when Zacchaeus says, yeah, he's part, of this, he's part of the people group here. You can't shove him out. And salvation has come to him. Who is Zacchaeus in this passage? He's the one who's been pushed out. And you've got to understand when Zacchaeus hears this, he's always been referred to as uh, one of the outcasts and never as one of God's sheep. He hasn't heard that in years. He was the outcast. He was the sinner. He was untouchable. He was stuck up in a tree. And yet he's looking, Lord, restore my soul. He found restoration in Jesus, the good shepherd. The good shepherd that we're reading about in Psalm 23. The good shepherd that's referenced in Ezekiel 34. So the question for us today is, where are we? Do we feel like we've been pushed out? Do we feel like because of who we are, what kind of job we have, or things of that sort, I mean, we evaluate ourselves. Am I doing the Lord's will, first of all? And in, and in doing the Lord's will, am I being pushed out? If I am, I look to Jesus. I look to the good shepherd. Lord, restore me. Or sometimes we feel like we're the ones that are better off. And therefore, you're not good enough to be hanging out with us. In fact, as an apologist, I, uh, one of the things that people don't like about apologetics, about defending the faith, the science, history, and philosophy, all the smart people, um, one of the things that people don't like is that they take this information and they beat up other people with it. They bully them intellectually. People don't like that. And, and so, yeah, so Jesus is, is saying, yeah, it's great to have this information, but the way you use it, it's winsome. You draw people back in. You don't push them out with it. And so I think that's where Zacchaeus was, and I think this is the same thing where David is. He has been pushed out by his own son and by the people who are following his son. And David's struggling through this, and he's like, Lord, restore my soul. You're the one who created life. You're the one who created my soul. I need you. And we push people out all the time because we think maybe, well, their theology's wrong. Well, I don't like the way they worship. I don't like the, way, the color of the carpet. You know, we come up with all of these different ways to bring up division. 
And before we know it, we start seeing people, figuratively speaking, climbing trees just to try to get, get a glimpse. I'm not good enough to mingle with those people, so I've got to kind of climb a tree and see it from over here. Instead of us looking up at them and saying, no, no, come down, you can join us. Join us for worship. Come to find the restoration. And we've, a lot of times we, we cause so much division over simple little things. And I think this is why we read in this passage about the restoring of souls. We see an example of it with David. He needs his soul restored. We see an example of it with Zacchaeus. He needed his soul restored. And maybe there's examples here with us. We need so our souls restored or we see people and we know their souls need to be restored. Because the way we do that is by following the shepherd. The rest of verse 3 says, He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Those paths of righteousness are usually well-worn paths. You walk up and down any kind of trail. You see a trail there. It's been walked many times. Why? There's a reason why that trail exists there. That's the right way to go. <laughs> but we all, like sheep, like to go astray. Jesus is the good shepherd. We are the sheep. And what has Pastor Sean said a couple of times about sheep? Sheep are dumb, <laughs> right? Yeah. Congratulations. We're all sheep. <laughs> Not a fun thing to think about, but how many times have we seen the path, but it saw something over there and said, you know what, I like this over here, right? Oh, but the path is, oh, yeah, yeah, the path, path, path. Okay, let's get back on the path. But did you see the squirrel, right? <laughs> the path is right there, right before us. In a handy little book we call the Bible, in a handy little thing we call fellowship, that we can access each and every day, but... We like to go our own way. But the shepherd knows the path. He's walked this path. That's why the path exists, because it's been well-worn and walked constantly that we know if we just stay on this path, we'll get there. And why do we walk this path? For the glory of his name, for his name's sake, for the reputation of God himself. Christianity sometimes gets a bad reputation because of Christians. I know some people who say, hey, I love Christianity, or I, I love your Christ, it's the Christians I have a problem with. It's because a lot of times we walk off the path and we still call ourselves Christians, but we've fallen off the path. We need to come back and be able to stay on this path that the Lord, the shepherd, has given us to be able to guide us with. And I know it's hard. I sidestep too sometimes. One foot in, one foot out, it's, it's a little hard. Christianity is not something we make up because it's fun. But we follow it because we believe it's true. We believe Jesus Christ really was who he said he was and he lived and died and to pay the penalty of my sin and then ascend it back to the Father. To be able to do all that to restore our souls. To be able to show us this path of righteousness. In fact, that's what those well-worn uh, paths are called in the Middle East. If you talk to a shepherd and they're following the sheep and you see the paths there, it's like, oh, what do you call this? What is this trail called? It's called a path of righteousness. Not because they're religious in any sense, but that's the understanding. That's, that's the way we're supposed to go. And why do we do this? For the, the, the namesake of God himself. We represent Christ. We are called ambassadors of Christ. When people look at you and they know you go to such and such a church, and they know you believe such and such a belief, Christianity, Jesus Christ, but they see you acting contrary to what you say you believe, that, that speaks volumes to them more so 
than what, you're, what, we, what the faith itself believes. So we want to walk out there and we want to be a good representation. Why? Because we're carrying the name of our Father. For his namesake, we stay on this path of righteousness. For his namesake, he has restored our soul to be able to walk that path with strength, with endurance, with diligence. And I'm not going to say it's easy. It's not. This is why we have fellowship. This is why we have friends. This is why we get together. This is why we have prayer and worship and the scriptures themselves. They're meant to guide us and to help us. And so when we look at all these different things, what do we see from this? He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Why? Because as I said, it's not going to be easy. In the very next verse, you read about we are going to have to walk through some shadows and some valleys of darkness. But again, we're following the shepherd. We're walking the path. He's able to restore our souls to the point where we can walk confidently in who he is. And that's what I want to challenge you with today. We know who Jesus is. We know God exists. We know the scriptures are true and accurate. Now, do we, tr- do we trust those? Are we willing to walk in that? Because God is a good God. And we see many people with many great testimonies about having to walk this difficult trail and understanding it's because of him. It's because of his namesake. It's because we're going to glorify him. It's because all the things that we could ever possibly know and do, as much as we study, when we understand the truth, the only reaction we could possibly have is worship. You can know all of the science and all of the history and all of the theology, and when it all comes, out, when it all comes down to the, to the bare roots of it, what, is, what do I have left to offer? Just worship. That's it. Just worship. In fact, there's nothing God can take from you or there's nothing God needs from you. He owns everything. He's creator of all things. The only thing that God does not have is your worship. It's the only thing you can offer him. Whatever it takes, maybe you need more knowledge, maybe you need more time, maybe that, that. God is patient. But when you come to realize that the only thing that's going to be left that I could possibly offer God and that he wants more than anything else, he already owns everything, the thing he would love to be able to have is your worship, your love. And it's up to us to make that choice, to make that decision.